grab your coat and get your hat. Leave your worry on the doorstep. Just direct your feet to the sunny side of the street. Welcome to Ken's Bulls and Bears Report. My guest today is former hedge fund manager and Fox business anchor Cody Willard. How are you today, Cody? I'm great. Thanks for having me back, Ken. Thanks for joining me. I really appreciate it. What do you think of the market here? Um, let's get into some of the stuff that you do. Cody's uh, been an anchor on Fox Business, managed a hedge fund, and now he runs... Uh, you have a newsletter, right, called uh, Revolution Investing? Yes, uh, you can find that on uh, Market Watch and the Wall Street Journal. Okay. And you, can, I, you can find all of my trades and uh, personal investments. Uh, I, I do a review of them all about once a month on tradingwithcody.com, and I post any time I do a trade on tradingwithcody.com so you can get all access to basically everything I'm doing in my own portfolio there. And then, of course, check out scudify.com, which is a social network and an app uh, company for investors. we got some great apps for you. Yeah, there's a lot of good information there. What, what do you mean by revolution investing? You know, it's got a sort of a double, a dual uh, connotation to it. Uh, by far the biggest part of revolution investing is trying to find companies that are truly revolutionary. A lot of people talk about disruptive technologies. I like revolutionary um, technologies, not that don't just disrupt, but truly create entirely new industries and revolutionize the world we live in. And that's why I've owned, for example, Google and Apple and Facebook and some of the big, what I consider big revolutionary tech companies out there. The other side of it is we live in a, a time with, you know, central banks and Republican-Democrat regime governments and developed governments in mm -hmm. Europe and all of these places around the world are more active in controlling and creating marketplaces, uh, whether it's healthcare um, or regulating the airwaves and the Internet. You know, these things, the government is uh, so much more involved in our lives. We live in a revolutionary time in society so we've got to address both of those and that's how i why i call it revolution investment okay the term makes sense to me i mean look at the changes i've been in this business about 25 years now and just look at the changes we've seen with internet trading over the internet and the, the amount of information that's available today it's just it's incredible well and not to mention like i'm saying with the bailouts and the you know with the with the amount of money that the government is in control of and the amount of control that they have in the marketplace in general, you know, those things are, like you're saying, in the last 25 years have changed tremendously. So you've got sort of dual revolutions happening in our lifetime in front of our eyes. And investors need to be not just aware of it, but play, you know, invest and position themselves for that. That makes a lot of sense. So you're referring a lot to, to monetary policy and the quantitative easing. We're seeing it done in Europe right now. Interest rates at record low levels. That, Just that, that kind in general, of the fact that, mm -hmm. you know, interest rates are at zero percent, that's, that's a revolutionary in its own right. We've never seen that since the end of World War II. It's 70 years since we've seen something like this, and it was right. not for this extended a period. So, you know, just from... Terrorism to the wars where our government forced us into and uh, that we're fighting around the world, this stuff is just so, the, the magnitude of it is so big, we've got to address it. And so going back to your original question, talking about the markets today, you know, there's 
we, we've had this huge run from 2008, and essentially we're near, you know, within 5% of all-time highs in the Dow and the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ back at 5,000, where it was in the year 2000. And I've been bullish for the last five years, six years, um, and long, like I said, I've owned Facebook, Google, my mm-hmm. own Sony. Um, these, I still own them, but I, I've, A, reduced some of my, the number of positions I have from about 20 to about 10. And okay. I've put on a few puts with, uh, bought some puts on uh, the biotech index, the IBB, and I bought some puts on the XLF, which is the financials, to mm-hmm. try to hedge my portfolio a little bit over the next you know, few weeks, months, uh, as the time horizon on that. But in general, I think the economy, earnings, and the movement from the monetary policies and the Republican-Democrat regime are all still very bullish and what I would even call bubble-blowing, and badly, but they're creating more bubbles in the meantime. Right. Are you concerned about uh, first quarter earnings? One of the consequences of this I think we're seeing is the strong dollar right now, which has advantages, disadvantages, but, of course, one of the disadvantages is that our uh, multinational corporations may have weak earnings. Are you concerned about first quarter earnings coming out next week? It makes me so happy that those multinational corporations that I don't own very much of, that don't really impact my life, are going to be hurt because I know I personally at home in Ruidoso, Alto, New Mexico, and mm-hmm. the, your listeners are all benefiting. We're paid in dollars. We've saved our money in dollars. Right. We invest with dollars. And as a consumer, as an investor, as a person, as a citizen of this country, I want, if they're going to have a fiat national currency that I'm forced to use, I want it to be as strong as possible always. So I couldn't care less that multinationals are hit by earnings currency problems. That's why I bought, one of the reasons I bought Sony eight months ago, a year ago, is because this was happening. And I know that they're, again, on the flip side of that. So I don't have to invest in multinationals, and I couldn't care less if they're getting hurt. I just know I personally benefit, and so do your listeners, when the dollar is strong. Yeah, I, there's a lot of advantages. There's a lot of stocks you can invest in that don't do a lot of business overseas and makes imports cheaper. There's just, it's, I think we're seeing the benefits of our you know our strong economy and the and monetary policy there. You mentioned Sony. Um, you, you still like Sony after Amy Pascal left? I liked it even better when she left. Okay. I love it when it's thought- roll because people are bigots or piggish in any way, and that's exactly what happened at Sony. And those people deserve to lose their jobs, and it doesn't matter to the company itself. Really, the big story at Sony is that. They have a huge library of content, film mm-hmm. and TV shows, from Seinfeld to Spider-Man, that they own. And you've got Apple, Google, Netflix, Hulu, Yahoo, you name it, and Comcast. They all are trying to build their own distribution, these new distribution networks over broadband networks, so that what I call the app consumer, the app revolution, the app the consumer of this stuff can use apps anywhere they are, from their television to their smartphone to their smartwatch, right. to watch that content. And Sony is positioned perfectly to sell all of that content into that distribution as these guys are having bidding wars for content. Right. So you've got the the yen itself, you know, the 
Sony is a multinational out of Japan, and when the yen's collapsing, they're benefiting. And so you've got that dynamic, number one, but far larger, the revolution at Sony is simply getting in front of that content demand that is happening from all of those extremely well-capitalized technology companies. Okay. That makes a lot of sense to me. Are you, um, just in general terms, you, you said you bought, bought some puts on the biotech index, I believe, and the financials. Are you anticipating a, a meaningful correction in the stock market? We've gone a long time without even a 10% correction here. We've gone several years. I, anticipation might be a little strong of term. But okay. I, you know, when the longer it goes without one of those, the more likely at some point one of those hits. And it just, you know, there's been such a strong market from the bottom, and you've always got a new class of investors who finally or come back into the markets after being, you know, puking at the bottom in 2009. And right. That stuff is just sort of noise on the per- fringe. And so trying to answer your question, yes, I do anticipate maybe a 5 or 10% pullback. I wouldn't be surprised to see the Dow back with a 16 handle on it, 500, 1,000 points lower than it is now at some point in the next few weeks. But I'm not trying to gain that per se. That's not... I don't think it's a fruitful thing for any average person to try to gain 5 or 10% corrections in the market and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I've got more cash than I did two years ago, and if we get a huge correction, if we get a serious correction, and some of the names that I really want to buy are down a bunch, I'll slowly scale in and start buying more of them and allow myself room to scale in at even lower prices, um, You know, depending, again, with the economy, with the broader society, what things are, with, given that we're sort of at the same place we are right now, where I think we've got a bubble-blowing bull market dynamic ahead of us, I want to be mostly long. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, you'll see it as a buying opportunity then? Probably. In gen- right. You know, there could I, be other I'm variables. I'm flexible enough, sure. and I've been around enough to know that I can't predict how I'll, what my analysis will be like if and when the markets crack and and there is a major pullback at some point in the next six weeks or six months or even six years. Right. What did you think of the jobs report Friday? That was a bit of a disappointment. Do you think that's uh, a temporary situation, that the econ- economic numbers will improve as we get into the summer months? I, I, I ignore... The, I, I'm, a, I'm a trained economist. I have an economics degree from the University of New Mexico. And right. I've studied and learned a lot about economics over the last 20, 30 years, but I think the main thing I learned is to ignore macroeconomic reports in general, and specifically on like a Friday like that. It's a good Friday. There's a million other things for us to be doing with our lives and worrying about that. And I think Mm -hmm. in general, you just want to look at what the trend is. And when you see governmental policies so... um, so much directed towards maximizing corporate profits, making sure stock markets are going up, mm-hmm. um, you know, whether it's Obamacare or the bank bailouts or Tesla getting a free factory built. This stuff helps corporate, corporate earnings. Right. And so in general, I think that's the trend, and you've got to just sort of ride that out until you see that start to crack and the chain, the pendulum start to swing the other direction. So the Friday's job report doesn't change anything in my factor. I know that it's part of a general 
trend of better employment numbers that this country is going through and experiencing right now. Yeah, they have been fairly strong. We're just about ready for a break. Uh, please remember that any opinions expressed here are for educational purposes, for specific investment advice, please consult your own advisor. If you have questions for me, you can email me at robertsken at sbcglobal.net or give me a call over at 775-825-4555. You can get my contact information off of MarketWatch, too, if you Google Ken Roberts, Market Watch. They'll take you to my columns at Market Watch. My most recent columns, there's contact information attached there. Stay tuned. We're just going to be a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about a lot, lot of other investment ideas. We'll be right with you. Hi, this is Eddie Floyd of the International News Show, AM News. I want to tell you about the Wynema Ranch. As a matter of fact, I'm going to invite you to visit Wynema Ranch for one reason. You can visit them online right now and help out where you can with our American heritage, the wild horses and burros at the Wynema Ranch. It is right here north of Reno, Nevada. That's WynemaRanch.com, W-Y-N-E-M-A Ranch.com. Get involved. Visit us today and see why I say my wife runs the ranch and I run my mouth. This is Eddie Floyd of AM News. Let me tell you about the Comfort Inn and Suites right here near the airport and convention center, a Reno hotel located right on Plum Lane. Check them out yourself. It's 1250 East Plum Lane, and their phone number is 775-682-4444. You heard me right, 775-682-4444. During the winter months, I actually stay at Comfort Inn, meet Nicole and Han and the rest of the great people there like the Baines Brothers. You'll find out why I stay say, and I really mean, it is one of the nicest inns I have ever stayed in in my entire life. Only a quarter mile from the International Airport here in Reno. Not only is Comfort Inn more reasonable than other inns, but it also gives you access to a laundry room, an exercise room, and meeting rooms, all included in the unbelievable price to stay at Comfort Inn, including, are you ready? A complete American breakfast, omelets, bacon, sausage, waffles, you name it, that's Comfort Inn. Give them a call. That number, 775-682-4444. Paper, paper everywhere. It's tax season. The good news is that much of this stuff can be tossed. The bad news is my little home shredder isn't going to cut it. But I found a great solution from my friends at the UPS store at Keystone. They offer safe and secure shredding for all my personal and business needs. And they make it so easy. They shred all my documents and file folders on site and their shredder is industrial strength. I don't have to spend time removing staples, paper clips, rubber bands, or even small binder clips. So if you need help disposing of your sensitive documents and want to protect yourself from misuse of your private information, visit the friendly staff at our locally owned UPS store at 561 Keystone Avenue in the Keystone Square Shopping Center. Mention this ad and you'll receive the special rate of 40 cents per pound. For information, stop by or call 322-5105. Remember, the key to all your shredding needs is your UPS store on Keystone at I-80. Boss, we've got a dead body at Genetosource. That's the news that awakens Jake Storm from a violent dream. It begins the story of Darwin's Sword, a terrifying but exciting debut novel from D.L. Whitehead, on sale now at Amazon and LRPNB.com. As Jake investigates the death of a researcher at Genetosource, he discovers that they've created a monster that can walk among humans without detection. A monster cloaked in the identity of his creator, who also happened to be the head of Genetosource. 
Jake must run for his life from a snowy Seattle landscape to a small, unfortified cabin in the mountainside outside of Las Vegas. There, a small band of friends unite in an effort to find a solution to killing the monster and deal with the psychotic government agent bent on the destruction of them all. Darwin's Sword is a lightning-paced thrill ride that will have you jumping at every noise. Published by LaRue Press, Darwin's Sword will keep you on the edge till the very end. Get it now at online retailers and lrpnb.com. Welcome back to Kent's Bulls and Bears Report. My guest today is Cody Willard. He's a former Fox business anchor, hedge fund manager, and also uh, CEO of Scudify. Hey, Cody, before we get rolling, can you just uh, tell people once again how to find your website and some of the services you offer? Yeah, be sure to come the, the, to get the, everything I do. Come to tradingwithcody.com. Okay. Uh, sign up for my services there. See every trade I ever make. See all of my personal positions in order from largest to smallest. And ask me questions anytime, you know. Come by Scudify, too, and download our apps from Scudify, and you can find me on there five days a week, six, seven days a week, answering questions. Okay. Sounds good to me. Um, here's a question for you. What This is something I saw you write about. What is Gapplesoft? <laughs> it's got a little humorous twist. <laughs> It was April Fool's Day, and I just right. did a thing on Scudify and actually ended up putting it on uh, Trading with Cody to a couple other places because it was just, I got a lot of people were laughing about it. And it was just that um, breaking news uh, Apple, Microsoft, and Google agreed to mega merger. Okay. Apple shareholders own half of new company to be called Gapplesoft, trading under the symbol Ruler, R U L E R. Makes sense. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think anybody took me serious. I, as as bad as our Republican Democrat regime and the Department of Justice does on enforcing antitrust law in this country, they actually might have to do something and step up and stop a merger that uh, of that size. I would think so. <laughs> Mega merger. Yeah. What do you What do you think about? Uh, I know you talk about stocks a lot, different sectors. Uh, Revolution investing, we'll, we'll get into things like wearables and robotics, but what do you think about just basic uh, gold and silver? Does that play a part in portfolios, in your opinion? It does. I think uh, gold better than silver. Um, if, if you're looking to hedge your portfolio with you know, the precious metal sector, um, it makes more sense to buy the actual precious metal that people think of as a currency, gold versus silver. There's uh, there are obviously other reasons to buy silver uh, over gold, too, including industrial use and whatnot. But I think the average investor out there is probably should own maybe from 2% to 5 or even up to 10% of your overall portfolio uh, should be in physical gold coins or physical gold bullion and okay. have that stored somewhere that you personally can access. I don't use the GLD or any other um, paper promise or, you know, the I will hold your gold and you have a certificate for it. No. If you're going to go with the gold route, own the gold. Mm-hmm. That's, your, that's your insurance policy. And if things go wrong and gold were to spike five to 5000 or 10000 or something in our lifetime, those certificates will not be redeemable, but your physical gold in your backyard or in your safe or at, even in your safety deposit box will still be there and will be spendable. So you use that as an insurance policy. So you're concerned? Yeah. I, okay. 
And I would just say, by the way, you know, I think, again, like, there's, with our global fiat currency movement in the developed world and the excessive quantitative easing and just, you know, actual um, involvement with the markets from the government and from central banks, I do think at some point in the next 20, 30, 40 years, you see gold at 5000 to 10000 an ounce. And I, I will probably want to have a little bit more than I do over the next 5, 10, or 15 years, but I'm not in a rush. I don't think it's tomorrow or next mm-hmm. year. Okay. And you're concerned about the amount of leverage in the gold market. I think I read somewhere that for every every bar of gold is essentially pledged about options contracts and so forth. And and that's it. I don't want to get in line behind 80 people. I mm-hmm. get in line behind nobody if I'm going to bother owning gold. If you're going to buy, you know, if you're, if you're going to own gold, you are probably doing it as somewhat an insurance policy. And sure. you don't want to count on banks when the crap hits the fan someday. Mm-hmm. Makes sense to me. Um, how are you playing the biotech sector right now? You mentioned you'd, you'd purchase some puts for the short term. Is, yeah, that, is that a hedge-along position or is a that's speculation? That's a hedge. That's a yeah, hedge, I mean, okay. It's just a hedge. I... I I personally don't ever invest in biotech stocks or companies themselves. I see. I've seen PhDs and brilliant fellowship doctors lose their shirt trying to gain the biotech sector. When you've got, gover- again, government involvement and it's the, the, the agencies that actually decide what drugs get put out to the marketplace, decide hmm. how much they're going to pay for it. I can't gain that type of stuff. I don't think you, anybody who's not in Washington could gain that type of stuff. So I, in, in general, stay away from biotech. But I, as a hedge to my portfolio, last week I added some, uh, I think June dated, 320 to $325, $325 strike price puts on the biotech sector, the IBB itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Again, just mostly a hedge. I, I don't. I'm not thinking the markets are going to crash or that biotech. I do think biotech is in a bubble, and that 90% gross margin that Gilead and these other biotech companies are outrageous. If when it's the taxpayer that's actually paying for this stuff, so right. I think at some point the pendulum swings and you'll get a major crash in biotech. I don't know that it's anytime soon, though. Mm-hmm. Do you, Do you like the healthcare sector in general? No, again, okay. way too much government involvement. If you can mm-hmm. game how long these corporations, whether it's insurance or health, hospitals or or biotechs and pharma, 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 pharma doesn't matter. These guys are all using taxpayer largesse to profiteer with these outrageous profit margins. Right. They have higher profit margins than Apple, twice as high as Apple. Mm-hmm. Gilead has more than twice. Gilead's at ninety percent plus. Apple's at forty percent plus gross margins. This market is place. It's if it weren't the taxpayer paying for it, I wouldn't care. But when the taxpayer is giving you ninety percent gross margins, that pendulum has to swing back because it's excessive, and when and, and the society itself will suffer over time from profiteering by these corporate healthcare companies. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. And with biotechs, you have to be so careful. You know, they'll have something come up with the FDA trial. The FDA, if it's thumbs up, the stock takes off. And if it's thumbs down, the, there can be some extreme volatility in those individual names. Um, so that's some pretty good advice. It's not for the faint of heart. 
What? Uh... It, 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 in general, I just think it's not for the retail investor. You know, by yourself, the companies that you know and love, they've been around and have lots of profits behind them and ahead of them. Whether, again, I own Apple, Google, Facebook, okay. um, Sony, SanDisk, Amberella. Let's let's talk about one of the uh, about the social media. I, I'm sure you believe it's here to stay. What's Twitter's Periscope app? Is that something new that they're coming out with? It's huge. It's the it's the future. I, when I've been talking about the wearables revolution, and you and I talked about this the last time I was on your show, yeah, that the wearables revolution is all these kids who are taking selfies are going to be streaming their lives live. Over these apps, and the Periscope is the first one. Meerkat is what's really the first one. Mm-hmm. Periscope is because it's backed by Twitter, and it's got all that—not just money, but data behind it, right. and user base behind it. It's by far now going. It's the. It's it made Twitter the purest wearables play in, of the future. These okay. kids to to describe it to your viewers. Essentially, you can hold your phone out. Put it up, or even just pin it to your shirt, and eventually you'll do this with a wearable camera like a GoPro, and it will stream over this app from Twitter called Periscope, and uh-huh. your followers and friends can follow it and see the same thing that you're seeing on your camera live being streamed over the internet. That's mm-hmm. it takes YouTube to the next level, and it's going to be huge. It'll be worth tens of billions of dollars for the companies that dominate that place it's very, we're not even at the first out of the first inning so i do think twitter's it's twitter's game to lose but we got a long nine innings ahead of this i see that sounds interesting um speaking of apple the iwatch is due to come out you think it's going to be a popular product another home run for them i do i, okay. I apple typically rolls out products like the iPhone, the iPod, the yeah. iPad, or the iPod long before it, that take a, an existing platform, an existing technology, and make it so much more usable that it becomes mainstream. And I think you've got that set up here for the Apple smartwatch, the Apple Watch. I haven't gotten to play with it, obviously. Scudify is already actively developing our app for the Apple Watch. I see. And I can't wait to play with it and use it and buy it and get one for some friends and my wife, etc. It sounds handy, and they've had a hit of, uh, like you said, from the iPad to the iPod to iPhone, just a, a string of hit products that have taken off, and the iWatch makes a lot of sense it's, that it's going to be another one for them. Um, we're about ready for a quick break here. Um, once again, if you have questions, you can give me a call at 775-825-4555. Um, you can email me questions, too. Just use my name's last name first, Roberts Ken, R-O-B-E-R-T-S-K-E-N, at sbcglobal.net. And please remember, too, that opinions expressed here are for educational purposes, for informational purposes, for specific investment advice, consult your own advisor and we're going to take a quick break we'll be right back you can call me also 775-825-4555 and you can check out my columns over on market watch easiest way to find those is if you google ken roberts k-e-n-r-o-b-e-r-t-s market watch that'll take you right to my columns there read up and there's some contact information there as well 
Reno Tahoe Tonight is the most popular magazine in Northern Nevada. Winner of Best Publication, Best Local Magazine, Best Monthly Publication, and a prestigious Addie Award for Magazine Design. RTT gets your messages seen and heard. Pick up a copy today at the Pepper Mill and over 250 other locations in Northern Nevada and beyond. RTT, bold, uncensored, and always free. Do you have an interest in Nevada's wildlife? Do you care what happens to wild animals and birds that live in public areas in Nevada? Are you aware that trapping of animals is happening as you are listening right now? Do you know that trappers unintentionally catch thousands of non-targeted animals and birds in Nevada and that many of these accidental victims are injured or die? Do you know that trappers catch many dogs and cats as well? If these facts concern you, you should know that the Nevada Department of Wildlife and the Nevada Board of Wildlife Commissioners are in charge of trappers and need to hear from you. For more information, visit trailsafe.org and Nevadans for Responsible Wildlife Management on Facebook. You can also visit the website of the Nevada Department of Wildlife at ndow.org. This message is brought to you by Nevadans for Responsible Wildlife Management. In 1860, there was a battle for the soul of America, and the right side won, and the ownership of people for economic gain was abandoned at a terrible price. Today, there is a battle for the soul of the Republican Party that echoes this spiritual battle. There are those who increasingly want to reduce all political issues, all cultural issues, to economic and financial terms, a crass form of materialism thereby abandoning the moral and social issues. But moral and social issues are the bedrock of an individual as well as a society. Abortion is a slavery issue of our time. How we treat this genocide of the unborn will define us morally. Let us make the right decision based not merely on legal precedent, but on the morality and goodness that resides in the human heart, themselves reflections of divinity. Grab your coat and get your hat. Leave your worry on the doorstep Just direct your feet To the sunny side of the street Welcome back to Ken's Bulls and Bears Report. My guest today is Cody Willard. Uh, we dropped off the last segment talking about Apple's iWatch. Uh, Cody, what do you think about the latest change to the Dow? Apple got in there and AT, AT&T's out, and AT&T had been in there for since 1939, I believe. You, do you like those kind of changes? Um, you know, I I, I, I I, just, again, I don't think it's something that the average investor can benefit from. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, typically, when a company gets added to the Dow, it underperforms for the next few months versus the stock that gets kicked out of the index. And it's sort of counterintuitive that when you step back and think about it, that, you know, the Dow, of course, is going to add companies that are doing unbelievably well and the stocks that are doing great, they're going to be taking out one that's not been doing so well. So it's, I mean, I've owned Apple since it was literally at a dollar per share back in March 2003, and I mm-hmm. still own it, and I certainly don't plan to sell it uh, whether or not it's in the Dow. Okay. Yeah, I think that they just, of course, they stay up with the leading corporations. It's only a 30, 30 stock index. Anyway, so that's these kind of changes aren't like you say they're not extremely significant. It's just uh, I like seeing the fact that Apple's getting credit, you know, f- from Dow Jones that they are a leading corporation at this point. And, a little, I, I mean, it's great and all, but 
they waited until the company had gone. I owned it when it had about a, a six billion or five billion dollar market cap, and they put it in there after it hit seven hundred billion dollars, right? And became by far the largest company ever on the planet. So, yeah, <laughs> thanks, Dow. <laughs> exactly, could be the first trillion dollar company. We'll have to watch that. That's not not that far away at this rate. Um, not at all. No, we're getting fairly close, and it's. I, I believe the market cap's about twice as large as the next largest company in the Dow's uh, uh, ExxonMobil. Right. And I'll tell you, I, you know, not to, not to. Well, yes, to throw it out there, I actually predicted that Apple would be the first trillion-dollar corporation back about six years ago. Oh, I see. Uh, when it was worth about two hundred and fifty billion, and mm-hmm. we're getting closer. So forty percent away, and I don't know what I'd do with my stock at that point. I, Definitely will trim a little bit along the way, like I always do. Yeah, that's a good. Uh, you know, you mentioned that a couple times. Maybe we could touch on that before we move on. But you mentioned if there was a dip in the market, that you'd start accumulating some shares. It sounds like you'd kind of average in, and uh, if you think things get high, you'll take some off the table. Do you kind of tend to average in and out of positions? That's, that's about right. Yes, okay. I, I, I try to find stocks that I can hold forever. Mm-hmm. Um, like the Apple or the Google or Facebook. That sh- I, I bought Google the day it came public. I see. About oh forty five dollars a share, and I still own it. Mm-hmm. But yes, when they get it, when I have a double or a triple in a position, I might take off a third of it. I might take off even just ten percent of it. Even when I catch a fifty percent move, like I have in Sony, I, I, at some point I'll probably trim a little bit and right. take a little bit off and just put that in cash and wait until. The stock gets crushed for no good reason or something, and then try to put it back in to play. I don't do it with all of my, you know, I, if I own 5,000 shares of something, I'm not selling 5,000 shares trying to t- top tick and bottom tick those markets. Right. I try to use those swings in the market in the near term to my advantage, especially when I believe in my, it's, especially because I believe in my analysis, and it gives me the opportunity to do so. Mm-hmm. And that, that, to me, it makes sense as a strategy, too. If you identify a stock that you like and want to own forever, set up a plan to accumulate it over a period of time, and you could take advantage of some you know, broad-based market dips, or if the stock itself comes down a little off one earnings report or that type of thing and average into it and not try to time or worry about you know, putting your entire investment in at one particular point in time. And that, it, it, it allows you to sleep at night, too. Yeah? And don't get me wrong. I'm, like any investor should be, I'm stressed out about any of my positions. I, mm-hmm. I do homework. I stay on top of them. But knowing that I've taken something off the table over time with Apple, I can sleep at night if it gets to hit 20, 30, even 40%, which, by the way, it has oh, yeah. numerous times over the last 12 years that I've owned it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not timed it perfectly ever. I've gotten some great trades. I bought call options near the bottom on some of those crashes and sold them months later when the stock is doubled or something, and that's great. But the grand scheme of things, my reputation, my money has been made by owning that stock for the long term and just doing a little bit of nuanced trading on the fringe, mm-hmm. but holding it and believing in my analysis. Right hold for the long term and you're going to have to expect if you're in stocks that have growth potential they're going to have some volatility the broad market's going to have some volatility 
and so are some of these individual issues from time to time. And you just all of them. No stock goes un, untouched over time. Whether even if it's just you know the guy who owns five percent of it dies and his mm-hmm. family and the trust sells those shares, it can hit the stock ten or twenty percent. You don't ever even know why that stuff happens on the fringe all the time. Yeah, and it affects individual names. And like you said. A 2008 crisis hits, and every stock on the planet's down 40 or 50 percent. I don't care how "quote unquote" safe it is; right. those are equities that are being sold. And those on the fringe, you can have those major swings in prices. You've just got to have a playbook and pre- be prepared for that type of stuff ahead of time because you know it exists. You know it will happen to you. You know you'll have heartache. You know you'll have home runs. Mm-hmm. You just have to go into all of, all investing and all trading with that long view picture, whether you're a day trader or you're doing investing for in forever positions, you've got to be looking out over the next, say, 10,000 days, the next 10 or 20 or 30 years of your life. And by the way, this is what we do at tradingwithcody.com all day, every day. And, you know, I'm not, I don't have a silver bullet. I make mistakes. I mm-hmm. buy stocks that go down. I buy puts when stocks go up. Those types of things happen. But we have a playbook for addressing all of that. We know that it will happen, and we plan for that type of stuff. And over the long, what I've for, I've been investing now for fifteen or twenty years, mm-hmm. I've had a lot of success, and that stuff has come with a lot of pain too. But you just got to be have a playbook to handle it all. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You have to have realistic expectations of how these investments perform, and you have, like you said, have a plan in place. One of the worst things I've seen people do is let their emotions take over. Which you know tends to you know fear and greed tends to sell at the bottom. Yeah, emotions the are the enemy. I I I, re, I remind my investors about that all the time. My readers and my subscribers about that all the time. That emotion is the enemy, and we've got to have patience. We've got to mm-hmm. let pitches come to us. We can't even. You can't just willy nilly go out there and buy things. I, I don't draw charts. I don't draw lines on charts. I don't mm-hmm. do that type of stuff ever. I don't think there's any advantage to it. I just. You've got to be able to handle these ups and downs and have a little bit more of an edge than just looking at the same charts that everybody else is looking at. Right. That makes sense. And use long-term money, too, money that, where you can, that you don't need in the short term, so you can ride out yeah. rough periods. And Ken, that's another bit of advice I give everybody is I've never known a successful day trader. I mean, maybe mm-hmm. one or two in my entire life, but the people don't make money day trading. It's too hard. It's too time consuming, and you'll have a drawdown at some point, day trading or investing, where you're down thirty percent or forty percent. And if you're using money that you're also needing to live on, and you're down forty percent, what do you do? Do you right. starve that month? Do you put it on your credit cards that month? Do you double down in the stocks and get extra aggressive that month? That's where those emotions really are unavoidable. So. Going back to what you were saying, yes, one of the most important things to do is, even if you're a day trader, be using long money, long-term money that you know you don't need. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, you've got to do a, have a financial plan, have your long-term money, have short-term, have your savings account, your emergency account, income covered. That's critical for people to understand, I think, when, when they get into the market. Seems simple enough, but... Very well, when a lot of people want to rush into the market, you know, you don't have, if, if you don't have savings account, you don't have to own stocks. If you've got credit card debt, you should just get out of that. That's mm-hmm. a guaranteed 5, 10, 15, 20%, whatever it is you're paying on your credit card, 
if you'll just get out of your debt and anything that's high interest at all, it's a guaranteed return on your money versus risking it in stocks. And again, even if you owned Apple, you're going to have time six months at a time, a year at a time, where the stock's down 40 or 50%. So yeah. it's got to be long-term money. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Speaking of uh, stocks, do you think Intel in the future could become a player in the mobile market? I own Intel, okay. and that's a question I get all the time. I bought it in the low 20s last year, trimmed a little bit on the way up. I, Like I said, I didn't nail the top or, and didn't even try to, and it recently got all the way to 39, almost 40. Yeah. And uh, it's now back about 31. Um, I'm looking at maybe adding back some of what I sold in the 30s, um, but I'm not in any rush. Yes, I think Intel has invested tens of billions of dollars over the last five years into trying to break into the wearable, what's going to be the wearables market, what we now presently think of as the smartphone, tablet, mobile market. Right. And they've not done it. They've not done well. But those resources and the research and and, and development that they've done take time, and it's getting here. And I wouldn't bet against Intel getting serious in traction in the in the wearables industry over the next five or ten years okay in the meantime you're paid three or four percent dividend yield right here at 31 bucks a share and right. the company's kicking off huge cash flow and this is a company by the way speaking of gross margins we talked about deal yet at 90 percent plus mm-hmm. apple in the 40s intel's in the 60s somewhere in between right. and they are high, you know extremely highly profitable company over time and I, I plan to own it for the next five or ten years, and if they fail to catch traction in wearables over the next, say, two to four years, I'll have to reevaluate. But I do think okay. we've got a, a roadmap ahead of them that is a good risk-reward for shareholders. That makes a lot of sense. And like you said, you've got an attractive dividend plus quite a bit of cash flow, potential for raising that dividend, getting an even greater dividend yield relative to your initial investment while you wait, and... With these low interest rates today, dividend stocks have become the staple of a lot of income investors' portfolios. So, Which speaks to why to I me. call it a bubble-blowing bull market. You just uh-huh. tapped on that, going back to that topic, because with 0% interest rates and these artificially low, incent- these artificially low rates that incentivize savers, renters, uh, savers, um, grandparents, anybody that's got any money, desperate to find yield, you end up putting that stuff in the stock market or getting right. it into startups, and it's a much riskier proposition. We're about to take a quick break. We'll be right back, and we'll talk about uh, interest rates in the next segment. Please stay tuned. Listeners, pay close attention. How would you like to have two one-minute spots rotating on three different radio stations here in the great state of Nevada every day, 30 days for a minimum of 60 spots, plus host 12-minute segment of the show of your choice, plus a 12-minute segment on AM News, and if you buy this veteran special, you get a free computer, mouse, monitor, keyboard loaded with Windows 7 and Microsoft Office, all for only $300. That's it. Unbelievable. To get your veteran special, call 384-4444. That's 775-384-4444. School starting. Is your computer ready? Stop by Reno Computer Fix to get your system revved up for the new school year. We offer many services including upgrades, screen replacement, 
virus removal, and analysis is always free. Don't want to fix that old junker? Come pick up a newer refurbished machine at Reno Computer Fix at 1170 South Wells. We sell a variety of laptops and desktops, as well as accessories. Reno Computer Fix has five-star rated service from customers just like you. See our reviews on Google, Yahoo, and Facebook, and call us at 775-996-0212. You'll love the fun, relaxing atmosphere, and the experience will be unforgettable and unlike anywhere else. Call us at 775-996-0212, visit us online at www.renocomputerfix.net, or drop by for amazing service from our fabulous staff at 1170 South Wells Avenue. We're in the blue and white building waiting for you. Remember to get your fix at Reno Computer Fix. Hi, I'm Rick Alatioto of Rick's Automotive. We are a family-run business. We have lived here for 10 years. We take pride in knowing that our repairs are done right. Our ASE certified mechanics only do repairs that you actually need, and we advise you of future repairs that might be needed. At Rick's, we offer free vehicle inspections, brake checks, and if your engine light is on, we can scan that for free. We also care about you as a customer. If you have any questions or concerns about your vehicle, give us a call. We'll be glad to answer them for you. Also, right next door is CNR Smog Shop. If your vehicle is due for a smog, they can perform the services for you. We are located at 2825 Kitsky Lane, Reno, with easy access in and out of the parking lot. Shop hours are Monday through Friday, 8 to 5. Phone number is 775-823-9930. Also, we offer a 10% discount for seniors and military personnel on labor. Ken's Bulls and Bears. My guest today is Cody Willard. And uh, Cody, before we get moving on, um, can you tell people a little bit about, uh, once again, where your website is? Yes, please come check out tradingwithcody.com. Okay. Might be more aptly named Investing with Cody, as you can tell from the discussion today. Right. Um, But yeah, I post all my trades, when I make them, um, why I'm making them details like that, um, and all of my positions on tradingwithcody.com, and be sure to download the Scudify apps uh, from I- for iOS and for uh, Android, um, where it's a social network and aggregate uh, social aggregating machine for all finance, for investors about all financial news, anything you want to look up, any stock, come to Scudify. Yeah, there's a lot of good information there. I use it myself. Um Please remember, before we move on, too, that uh, opinions expressed here for educational purposes, for specific advice, consult your own advisor. And talking about these record low interest rates and uh, people moving, you know, conservative investors, savers have moved into the stock market for dividend stocks. Do you see any safe investments out there with a, a decent yield? No. Okay. That's one answer. No. I've spent so much time in the last year or two. I, I also, as a part of service at tradingwithcody.com, and when I'm asked to do it, I'll sit down with one of my subscribers and try to help them come up with a playbook. And I'll have 75-year-old bond investors mm-hmm. uh, and savers who, you know, sold a business 20 years ago just just wanting their 4%, 3 4%. And... It's just so hard to find anything like that that I feel safe about. I, I think bonds are bubbled up again um, because of this dynamic, and I don't think it's going to pop tomorrow or anything, but right. I don't think in 10 years you'll look back at the interest rates today and and at bonds today and think they were a good, 
they were good or you know rate interest rates will be much higher bonds will be much lower mm-hmm. um looking out 10 or 20 years so in this day and age unless you're just trying to get a quick six months out of this dividend yield or something um even then i don't think it's safe so I, you it's part of the reality of the republican democrat these this government that these people who vote for republicans and democrats are getting this reality and mm-hmm. they're They've been told this is what they're going to get, and it's what they're getting. And unfortunately, those of us who don't vote Republican, Democrat, and vote for anything else we can find are also having to suffer those consequences of low rates and desperate desperation for yield. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been a very tough time for, like I said, for savers and conservative investors. The 10-year Treasury normally yields 45 to 5%, and... Today it's under two percent, so that's uh, well. And Ken, let's usually is relative there too. It, it, right. In my lifetime, it was yielding fourteen percent. Oh yeah. So it, it's you know this two percent is a long ways from five percent, but it's even longer ways from fourteen percent, and mm-hmm. that stuff's reality. That stuff will happen again. Right. It, it, same cycle in money. Searches for yield. It's certain, people don't want to risk their money unless they're going to get something in return, and that's you know that they they can call it equilibrium or whatever Bernanke and these central bankers want to call it, but it they're they're creating this place of equilibrium that's artificially low to begin with. So yeah. there will be there will be repercussions. It's just as always a matter of timing. I yeah. don't want to freak out your listeners or readers, because I am still long. I am still bullish, and I'm not that worried about this stuff near term. Right. You have to be prepared for these things to change. I remember my first my first brokerage account I opened in 82, 1982, and the money market was yielding 12 to 13%, their money market fund in those days. And, and today you're getting less than 1%? Right. So that that, that is... I mean, it's outrageous when you think about it, that somehow we're supposed to pretend this is normalcy. This isn't normalcy. We're a long ways from normalcy in the developed world in these financial markets. There is so much productivity and so much prosperity being generated by the app revolution, by smartphones, by the Internet revolution, by broadband, Mm -hmm. by spreadsheets, by the ability for us to communicate instantaneously and share ideas and do business. My partner from Scudify is in... Australia, and we've raised money partly because people are desperate looking for investments. Uh-huh. And all of this stuff ties in, and it's all part of a. You've got to look at the. This is why we talk about revolution investing, because all of this ties in in the end. And again, I also have a newsletter called Revolution Investing that you can find along with Ken and I on MarketWatch.com and on the MarketWatch apps. But okay. this is all part of a thing that we have to deal with here today. and it will have negative repercussions over time. But again, there's so much prosperity being generated in the meantime that these the Republican-Democrat regime and these central bankers can siphon off all of this ex- excess wealth and do these gains that they're doing with it. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Speaking of the Fed, uh, do you have any kind of forecast when you think um, they will start raising interest rates? Um. Five years from now? Okay. I mean, I, I think the central bank loses the narrative at some point. I don't think they're, they will be in control of when interest rates rise. I think 
they've already had rates way too low to begin with. Right. They've had them way too low for way too long. So when this natural market start when the market naturally starts looking for higher yield out there, when they're they will lose the narrative. The mar- rates are going to go up, and they'll chase it all the way up. I see. So you just yeah, people just have to be on the lookout for the the change in trend there. This kind of thing that's difficult to and, forecast. And, and to be clear, historically speaking, you typically have a bull market when the mar- when the Federal Reserve is raising rates. That's true. So they're typically behind the curve on that stuff anyway, and I think you'll have that, you know, a much higher magnitude of them chasing the reality of higher rates than than you would otherwise if you had just sort of had interest rates at one percent two years versus what we've had zero percent in quantitative easing and yeah. even negative interest rates over the last say five years. So right. I think we're getting a little wonky. Let's go back to something a little more talkable. Okay. Yeah, that's going to be something we just keep our eye on. But like, you know, you made a good point earlier. I, I discussed something, uh, you know, in the macroeconomics, talked about the labor market, uh, things like that. That's one of the indicators the Fed will look at. They'll look at the labor market, inflation rate. And you mentioned, you know, I you kind of look at those numbers, but you don't, you're more inclined to follow the trend of the stock market or actually the particular stocks that you're in. Is that correct? Instead of... Well, I follow the trend of what the economic indicators are telling. Uh huh. So, you, you know, it, and, and where you run into problems with that is when the trend changes. So, say in two thousand nine, I turned bullish. I'd been bearish. I actually closed my hedge fund in two thousand seven and became a TV anchor and used to tell my viewers right. part of that was making a trade out of stocks into media because uh-huh. I didn't like the outlook for real estate and I didn't like what the investment banks had exposed to real estate. All of that stuff. Right. Come, came into play, I started looking for that change in trend in 2007 to get worse. And then I started looking for it to get better in 2009. Mm-hmm. And so I am looking for the trend to get worse at some point, but my analysis and just sort of looking at the world at large says, hey, right here, right now, it's there's so many there are so many forces, again, from Corporate profits being driven by government forces that are right. building factories for Tesla and giving zero percent loans to Intel to buy back their stock, and uh, this stuff factors into higher stock prices over time. And mm-hmm. at some point, this uh, the interest rates swerve again, and those companies will suffer at some point. But Trying to game it, trying to time it from the economic perspective would be hard enough, and then trying to translate that onto the market and timing that perfectly makes it even harder. I've actually had a couple of successes doing that. Like I said, okay. we launched my hedge fund in 2002 at the bottom of the technology bus. Mm-hmm. I closed it in 2007, right before the markets crashed. Right. I've gotten back into investing in 2010 at when I left TV. We've had a great five-year run now on this. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is a 10-year run. I don't know. I just have to go with reality and analysis and try to navigate it the best I can. Yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, let's take a look back at the the big picture, looking forward. Uh, you talk about revolution stocks. Just in, you know, general terms, we're down to a couple minutes here, but things like robotics and drones and wearables, uh, you see a bright future for those. Of course, you have to have the right product that appeals to people at the right price, but... Right. So when people picture wearables today, they picture maybe the Fitbit watch or this yeah. Apple watch coming out or right. maybe the GoPro camera system. And 
those are all great, but you've got to look out over the next three to five years and picture people wearing cameras in their collars and yeah. on their hats yeah. and streaming this stuff and running it, and most of it will be video-driven. Mm-hmm. And the purists play on HD video and the ch- are the people that make the chipsets, and that's a company called Amberella, sure. A-M-B-A. Okay. The stock's tripled since I've owned it in the last 15 months because this wearables revolution is happening and GoPro competitors are coming out from China, but they're still using the Amberella chipset. Mm-hmm. So I've long stayed away from GoPro and tried to stay with the company that's making chipsets so that the product itself is less important, whether it sells, because whether it's the Chinese selling a $49 wearable camera or GoPro selling 250 or $350 one, the chipsets are going to be made by Amberella, so far at least. Okay. And if they lose that technology lead, then that stock will get crushed. But looking out right. over the next three to five years, I think they've got the roadmap to maintain that. Sony's another name that will benefit from wearables. I could see them being the Samsung of the wearables market, okay. which would make that stock go to 80 if that were to happen. Mm-hmm. I think I've got a price start of maybe 40 or $50 on it without that happening. But Google is probably the purest play on wearables, along with Twitter that I mentioned earlier earlier because of its Periscope app, yeah. Google because of Android and it being a dominant platform for so many wearables come down the pike, and of course, Apple will, uh, will own a large share of the profits in any wearables revolution that does come down the pike. So these, these big dominant names will continue to dominate to some I extent. I think so. Mm-hmm. You know, Microsoft yes. has missed the ball on all of this stuff, and I don't think they can catch up. Okay. Sam, the hardware vendor. BlackBerry doesn't have an operating system that any developer in his right mind would ever build something for. This, so you look out over the next five or ten. You no, know, Apple's going to sell wearables and they'll make profits on it if they do if they catch a, a major traction. Okay, and then you know that Android will be the dominant. Thanks for joining me today. I hate to cut you off on that, but thanks for joining me. We'll be back Thank next you week. Can. It's